When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Hillary Corna. She is a whole bunch of things. She's a CEO. She's an author. She's a speaker. We're going to talk all about those stuff. But I think we want to find out a little bit more about who she is and what she does and what her background is uh, from her. Um, and I'm excited because she's got a background which is near and dear to my heart uh, <laughs> and a focus that is near and dear to my heart. And we're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about customer service. We're going to talk about being human-centric and probably a bunch of other things. So excited for the conversation. With that, Hillary, welcome to the program. What's up, everyone? <laughs> hey. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we, you're a lot of things, right? You've got titles. Yeah. I'm looking at your LinkedIn page right now. You've got lots of titles. You've got yeah. books. You've got podcasts, all this stuff. But, you know, let's hear from you. Like, what is it that you do and why do you do it? Give us the background. Yeah. So thanks for having me on. Um, I, I believe I am one of the most privileged people on this earth to get to do what I do. Yeah. And I have a mission to change the face of business forever. Um, part of my background is my father was an entrepreneur. Well, he was sort of a wannabe entrepreneur. So uh, coming from an Italian family, I'm sure there's a lot about you out there that can relate to this. You know, you start off in the construction business or these really kind of trade oriented businesses. And it was all that you could live for. It was all you had. Right. And then he passed away at a really young age. He was only 32 when he passed passed away in a car accident. I appreciate that. Thank you. But the reason I share this story, I never knew my father and my grandpa ultimately failed in growing his business. But it wasn't until about 15 years later that we found a letter that my dad had written to himself in the midst of this huge transition where he was attempting to take over my grandpa's company. It was 1982, handwritten. No one had ever read it before. And in it, he says, and you know, get those tissues ready for you. Jeez. (laughs) And he says, I'm undergoing one of the greatest challenges that maybe no man has faced before. If I succeed, I hope I can remember these humble beginnings. And if not, may the Lord bless me with a life that's satisfactory to the needs of my family. For above all else, I love my family and the joys of life over the frugal rewards of hard work and dedication. Wow. So I share this because... 
My dad never had the ultimate life that he dreamed of, but he always knew that joy came first and that meaning and impact came above, you know, the frugal rewards of hard work mm -hmm. and dedication. And so I think people are yearning for this right now. The reason we talk about human centric organizations and we'll go into deeper in terms of what that is and how you can implement in your organization, because it's very tactical. My background is operations. We'll talk about that as well. Yeah. But the reason we're talking about this as a topic is because people in the last year or two have been faced with these very existential questions around their meaning, their work, why they do what they do, why we run these huge organizations, why we put everything, our heart and soul and blood into the work that we do. And I just want everyone to have a little bit fucking more joy. Like, yeah, exactly. Like all of you out there that are listening to this, that are just like, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. It's Q4. My world is crumbling. Oh God. Now we got to start thinking about 2022. Like just know that Success is not how much money you're making. Success is waking up with ease and joy every day yeah. and having fun along the way. So that's my mission. I'm curious. Let me just, let me just yeah, dig into one go. thing there. Well, you know, I think there is, you know, like I, I agree, this happens a lot. Or there, I think there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, either starting businesses or running businesses and are have a lot of pain and suffering, you know, at various levels in various ways. Do you feel this is they need to be in a different business or do a different thing? Or is this more of a change of mindset of yeah. how you approach the thing you're doing already? Change of mindset. Yeah. I think we're moving as a society and as a culture from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. We are in, inundated with information. We're inundated with comparisons. You know, I have to fight myself every day to not compare myself to other mm -hmm. female thought leaders and wish I wasn't in their place, oh right? Yeah. And you all have to do that with your businesses. And I, I often say to my clients, like, start looking inward, not outward. Mm -hmm. Pay less attention to what other people are doing. Pay more attention to what you need and what your people need, your people being both your employees and your customers customers because everyone is fighting and dying for your attention. And the very, to your point, you know, the very thing that we need to do is not desire something different, but find more meaning and joy in the very thing that we're doing, even as menial and rudimentary as it gets. And so, you know, when we talk about human centric organizations, a lot of the work that I have committed to in the last 10, 15 years of my life since leaving Toyota, which is where I started my career doing Kaizen, which mm -hmm. we can reference in more detail in a moment. But a lot of the work we do is how do you create human centric processes that actually give you more joy? And so let's talk about some fucking real examples here because. Yeah. People here are human-centric and they're like, oh, okay, people-centric organizations. No, y'all know who's listening out there that the way businesses <laughs> operated in the 1990s could not operate today. And those yeah. are people-centric organizations. What we mean by human-centric is embracing the whole human and being true about the human experience. So for example, my husband has a tech company. One of the beautiful things he did was he changed his on-hold music to a comedian telling jokes. And he hires a comedian once every six months to come in and create new jokes and they change their on-hold music all the time. Yep. They literally get their customers calling in saying, I'm, I'm calling in just to hear <laughs> the new jokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so it builds it. these moments of connection that elevate your customer and your employee to a relationship higher than the transaction of the product or service you're promising them. And that's yeah. where business is going. If you are out there and you're saying, oh, fuck, someone's coming in and they're creating a product that's either higher quality or cheaper cost. How do we maintain relevancy and compete? This is the answer. You compete by creating a human-centric experience rather than a product-centric experience. Mm -hmm. And this is 
highly relevant for those service-based industries out there yeah. where everything's just being digitized and the very differentiating point, which is that human touch is being lost. You have to build it back. Yeah. Let's go, let's go back. Cause I think that it's important to understand your background and how you kind of got into this. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. being a lean agile guy. I'm fascinated by Toyota and your experience <laughs> there, but give us a little bit of like, yeah. like what was that phase of your life like? And then how did it sort of set you up for doing the work that you're, you're doing today? Yeah. Beautiful. So, some of you out there may have heard of me. Some of you may have not in the past. Bruce and I crossed paths in the Scaling Up communities, yeah. the Scaling Up Summits, Growth Institute, EO World, YPO Vistage, all those wonderful communities. I started my career actually as a senior executive officer and Kaizen leader for Toyota in Singapore, which is a really big title. <laughs> you know, the Japanese take titles very seriously. Yes, um, What we did was led process improvement initiatives across the Asia-Pac region. So I'm going to make this as basic as possible to move along. It, essentially what we did was Toyota in the early 2000s was like, okay, we have the Toyota production system that's made us famous on the manufacturing side of the business and allowed us to operate with machine-like efficiency, right? If those are just tools and techniques, how do we take those same tools and techniques and apply it to the service side of our business, the retail side of the business? So the industry of automotive has the production side, which actually mm -hmm. makes a profit from selling and manufacturing the vehicle. Uh, I'm sorry, producing the vehicle and selling it to the dealers. And then the dealership is the sales side of the business. So you have mm -hmm. sales and service in the automotive industry. And so this was the vision of Toyota-san himself um, in the early 2000s. It was very new concept. Like if you've heard these words, I'm sure all of you out there have heard them before. Just in time, Jiroka, nope. Six Sigma, which technically doesn't come from Toyota, but yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that later. Um, Kanban system, Miruka, all these, these are just tools. And we always said at Toyota, the tool is not the problem, it's how you mm. use the tool. A sword can be used to kill and it can be used to protect. So your automation, your machine learning, yeah. just your core processes, uh, email drip campaign, these are tools and they can kill your business and they can grow your business. It's how you mm -hmm. use them that matters. So what we did in the South Pacific, so that included essentially all Asian countries outside of Japan, China, and Australia. So Taiwan, Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, all across over to India and Pakistan. And mm -hmm. what we did was we led these process improvement initiatives where we would go into a pilot program, into a dealership, and we would identify a key theme that was a problem they were seeing consistently that was directly relating to the bottom line and affecting it negatively. And then we'd fix it. And if it worked, we would standardize it and we would scale it across all of the networks of dealers in that country. And if it worked in that country, we'd spread that best practices to other countries. Mm -hmm. So I was the first female Toyota ever hired in the South Pacific to do Kaizen, the first Caucasian, the first American native English speaker and... Um, uh, the youngest they'd ever hired to do Kaizen. Yeah. And uh, so that's what there. kicks a lot of firsts. Yeah. That's what I wrote my first book about, which is called One White Face, which I've been criticized a lot for nowadays. But uh -huh. it's actually a quote from my boss at Toyota who said, I hope you realize you're the one white face in the company. Uh -huh. And then uh, having come back to the States, I've been writing, consulting on the topic ever since. And to all of you out there that's listening, that's done Kaizen or lean work and has failed, you're not alone. Yeah. Um, McKinsey came out with a statistic in 2018 that said 87% of lean projects in the US fail. And I'll tell you this, if there's anything you take away from this interview, it's that all process improvement initiatives should start first with, how do you improve the life of either the employee or the customer and as a result, the benefit, the business benefits. 
what yeah. the West has done is said, hey, how does the business benefit even at the detriment of the employee or the customer? And so y'all have been led wrong. <laughs> at best, without regard to, uh, at yes. worst, with the direct, the direct degradation of the quality of experience. So yeah. Degradation is right. And there's story yeah. upon story out there um, of people feeling demoralized and dehumanized because they're being told how to do their job better when they're not being involved in the first place to understand their ideas and how can they come up with those on their own. So the approach is the problem, but the tool itself of process improvement is is not going anywhere. It's always there to use at your disposal. It's just how you use the tool. And I believe that in the future, it needs to become more human-centric. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Well, and, and let's talk about, I mean, you mentioned this before, kind of a product-centric versus human-centric. Yeah. Give, it, give us some more kind of, you know, compare and contrast on those so people understand really why those are, why those are two fundamentally different things. Yeah, let's talk about HubSpot, right? You look at any type of major software system right now, whether an ERP, a CRM, a sales software, and ultimately all their feature sets are becoming homogenous y'all you you see them like they all have this the the technology is moving faster and faster into one and so the question becomes if our technology all does the same thing what's the differentiator and the only differentiator is going to be the how you use the technology the actual language you use in your invoice paid emails in your drip campaigns in your follow-up emails and to sales prospects and so hubspot's a great example i believe that the reason hubspot's succeeding is not because of their products itself it's because of their belief systems around customers if you look at the customer code of hubspot they talk like real people and this is one of the the traits of human-centric companies if you Google the HubSpot customer code, you'll see it says, solve for my success, not your systems. Mm. At Toyota, we say design the operation and then implement the tech. Don't implement the tech and then design the operation. And that's what's happened over the last 10 years. Yeah. And it's no one's fault. People have been led poorly. Yeah. Um, if you look at MailChimp, for example, why is MailChimp so has been so successful? Their experience when you use it is so human centric to the point when you actually press send, they show a monkey pressing a big red button with sweat coming down its finger because uh-huh. it empathizes with the customer in that moment. No matter how many times you send a newsletter, you still get nervous. <laughs> how many times you you spell check to that, uh, yeah. that that line? You know, you always are worried there's some error in here that I'm about to send to six thousand people. Yeah. Yes. And so let's t- so the idea of being a product based versus service based. There's two main concepts here. We have to get to understand real quick. If you're in the product-based industry, you cannot compete on product because someday someone will come in and make a better product faster than you or cheaper than you, and you'll get, you'll get sideswiped. You have to compete on something else. If you're in the service-based industry, similarly, someone's going to come in and serve better than you at a cheaper price or higher quality. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is how do you build a collective effort towards the experience as the differentiator? So let's talk about a service-based industry that does this really well. Okay, one of the worst, most commodity-based industries or commodity industries you've ever heard of, publishing, right? Who wants to be in publishing right oh, now? Yeah. No yep. one. You know who's fucking killing it in publishing? Scribe Media. Yeah. 
founder is Tucker Max. He has yep. a super controversial background that we won't go into. Just Google his name. You'll find out real fast. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> but listen, everyone I know and their mama is switching to Scribe Media. I yeah. switch, switch publishers to Scribe Media. Um, I didn't expect such a human-centric organization, but one of the things they do that y'all can go and steal this idea, it's absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant, is anyone who knows process and customer experience knows that one of the hardest parts about a service-based business is the handoff between sales and fulfillment or production, whatever you call it, right? That is so crucial. And for some reason, so many people fail at it. What they did when you pay your invoice at Scribe is you receive an email that is automated. That's okay. Uh And it says, Hi, Hillary. I hate generic corporate invoice paid emails. I mean, come on. We give them all our money and then we get a boilerplate email. So instead, I'm going to send you a sincere, heartfelt gratitude from a real person in parentheses, me. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Here's why it's brilliant. Not only is the handoff so important and most people fail at that, but most people look at the invoice process, invoicing as a whole, and they just think, okay, how do we remove the bodies? How do we make it automated? But if you think and have one of the traits of a human-centered company is having deep customer empathy, and we're not talking this pie-in-the-sky softy stuff. It's very concrete. Um, Jeff Bezos says in some of their most important meetings, they put a seat at the table, an extra chair, to signify the customer sitting in the room so they always keep thinking about the customer. There's very concrete things you can do. What they did so brilliantly in this uh, touch point in their experience of their customer at Scribe was they realized something that so many companies forget, which is when your customer pays you, they're nervous as fuck. Like yeah. I caught a check for like $32,000 to Scribe and then we're treated dehumanizing in our experience because you just get this boilerplate email. And so they saw that as an opportunity to build trust and connection. Yes, it's automated. They used the tool well to protect the relationship, not to kill it. Yeah. And then yeah. on top of all that, just to toot their horn a little bit, because I fucking love tooting their horn, is on the bottom of that boilerplate email, which was a boilerplate email, it's automated, right? Yep. But it was customized. They included a GIF, like not a G-I-F-T, a G-I-F, of their <laughs> accounting person cheering for you, like with yeah. her fists in the air. Yep. I mean, are you kidding me? Never have I seen I anything this. like this in the invoicing process. I love it. So product versus service, yeah. both have to compete otherwise in a different way that builds the relationship up in a world that's becoming so digital. Otherwise, someone's going to steal that business right from under you. Yeah. It seems like the corollary to this is if you're really going to be kind of human customer centric around this, you got to know your customer, right? And so- Oh, God. Yeah. It feels like the challenge for a lot of these companies is if you have a very sort of generic- customer target or you really don't have even thought about a persona or any kind of like specific kind of target customer that you're serving everything comes across as generic because you don't it's like well I'm just serving anybody and it feels like either you know you you have to or you have the opportunity to really understand like who do you serve right we we may not serve everyone right who specifically do we serve you know what do they care about and what are their values and what's their kind of attitude and then we can start doing things like this because otherwise you're kind of caught in this, you know, this this very kind of generic world of, well, I'm going to have to <laughs> write generic emails. I'm going to have to have generic, you know, mm-hmm. autoresponders and stuff versus this kind of edgy or, or whatever your target customers, you could actually speak to them more specifically on what they care about yes. and how they want to how they want to work. Bruce, you touched on a huge piece here. And to anyone who's still listening, I do have a surprise for you at the end. If you continue to listen, we've got like a few more minutes here. I 
think you nailed this that so many people don't often see, which you have to have the courage to be yourself yeah. as a company. And I'm telling you this scary as fuck. And you're, anyone who's listening is gonna be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, in one ear, out the other. But mm -hmm. I mean, you see these companies out there that are being themselves, that have the courage to like take this leap of faith to talk like real people. What you're saying, one of the things we phrase this as is stop using corporate jargon. Yeah. You got this, this world of corporate jargon is gone. No one wants to see a statement. No one wants to see a standard response to your COVID mm -hmm. situation or whatever that situation is that's facing you in this quarter in time. No one wants to see that. They want to see the real you. And we've never been in a world in business that has been more open to receiving your unique self than we have now. Look at what happened with Airbnb. I mean, fucking, sorry, I only cuss on podcast interviews. I don't know why. It. it comes out, my Italian side is just like- You're passionate. I'm passionate because I want people- all of you out there, you're predominantly male. I get it. You have the opportunity to be yourself and you've never been given permission before. Yeah. That's the difference. You have been told for decades upon decades to show up this perfect self, suited up, button and tie. I mean, listen, Bruce looks great all the time. Like Bruce, you always look great. But I would love to see a casual Bruce, like show me a little of yourself, you know, right? Not you, Bruce, but like your company. Mm -hmm. Here's a great example. Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. He had to lay people off. I think it was like 1,200 layoffs about a year ago in the midst of COVID. Yeah, May 5th, around 2020. He wrote an open letter. And if you haven't read this, I encourage you to go Google this and read it like as you go to bed and journal on this because it was one of the most profound things I've ever seen a leader in today's world do. He wrote this letter explaining the background of the layoffs what's happening, his failures along the way, how he contributed to the problem and what he's gonna do differently moving forward. And by the end of the letter, I literally was like, I wanna work for this guy. Like I want to yeah. meet him and know him because that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. You've ne I've never seen someone do layoffs and like, then you wanna go work for them. What is it about that? Is it, is it his own kind of humility? Is it the humanity that he's kind of operating from? Like, where do you see the power in that statement? Yeah. So one is transparency. This yeah. is a word that's been thrown around a lot recently in the last like five to 10 years. But to practice transparency is talking like a real person. Yeah. When you see a statement or a press release, which for anyone who's listening, you know, if you're a billion dollar company or even hundreds of millions of dollars and you've got several lawyers on staff, it's a different type of interaction because you have to be even more cautious of what you're saying. Yeah. But most of you listening are not. Most of you are, you know, probably, Bruce, you know your audience, what, between 10 to 100 million in revenue? Yeah, 10 to 100, probably 50 to 500 people. Yes. So you have the ability to do what the big guys can't do, yeah. which is be human. Like Airbnb, the fact that it's still led by the founder allows him to lead in a way that's authentic to the vision he sees in the world. If you're working for Nike, sorry, you probably can't do that very yeah. well. Yeah. One of the things he did, not only in terms of being transparent, human-centric companies typically demonstrate a great deal of listening. So when you are a leader and you have to share bad information, what you need to do is share it in the words that the people are saying. Don't say it in the words that you're saying. Mm. Like, oh, our company's struggling. We're going through these key milestones. We've never been faced with a challenge like this before, right? Like, what are your people saying? Are your people saying, like, I'm meeting the end of the road? Then use their language. This is where yeah. like having empathy is so important. They also convey a sense of always helping. 
So Brian in that letter, he, he was like focused on how he can help. He went into detail of what the Airbnb is actually doing for all these people laying off, which that's, you know, a matter of resources and capacity, but still you can help in ways that don't just let people be, you know, on their own and isolated. They focus on collaboration. They're very personal and they express themselves in acts and actions, not necessarily like advertisements. So it's like doing more than you're saying and focusing on action. So these things along with, you know, talking, acting like real people, being open, real, and even flawed. Like if y'all know the background of Netflix, Netflix started as a mail-in DVD service. Mm -hmm. Like, and the CEO of Netflix has a great quote where he apologizes to the employees saying like, I failed in that business. Like Quickster was what it was called. And he was like, we, we failed. Uh And so- I mean, it's a hard thing for a leader to come out and say, I did something wrong. And for example, like we just switched podcast production companies and the company we chose was terrible. And I just sent a big statement, uh, I shouldn't say statement, a big letter or message out to my team. And I was just like, I'm so sorry. This transition has been rough over the last three months. Please, I'm asking for your commitment to do another transition to another production company because this this failed and it's on me. So these are all the things that people are yearning for because I think at the end of the day, for all of you that are still around, you don't have to be perfect. And people don't expect you to be perfect. They want you to be real. Yeah. Yeah, there's a power in a, a well-written mea culpa, right? Of just kind of Ooh, that's a a- good acknowledging word. and uh, and learning. You know, it's both kind of this being really aware of what happened and, and your contribution to it, and then applying that as a go forward. And this is how this is how it's going to change what I do going forward. Uh, and if you can get that right, it can be. It, it, like you said, you make people come work for you. <laughs> you make people come work for you. And yeah. it's and it's not for the faint of heart. Oh, yeah. And you have to have the courage to give yourself permission that you don't have to be perfect. And that's yeah. a new way of thinking that lets go of really archaic styles of leadership, which is I'm going to show up my perfect self and I'm going to leave all my flaws at home. That world is over. I'm better than you. I think that's always the one. The reason I'm a leader is because I'm better. And yes. I think that's that is a fundamental flaw. Yeah, and seeing people as uh, inferior because they're yeah. not in your hierarchy or in your position. By corollary, if I'm if I'm acting as if I'm better, it means that I think that you're not as good. So, and I think that sets up a lot of people for a, a really a really dysfunctional leadership dynamic. So fascinating. Yeah, and there's some beautiful companies out there that, on top of you know Netflix and Airbnb, are some pretty huge names. But if you look at something like Umpqua National Bank out of Oregon, they're one of the fastest growing commercial banks in the country right now, and in every Every location in every retail location, they have a direct line to the CEO. Like there are some very operational things, whether it's the invoice paid email or, you know, having a direct line to the CEO or changing your tech to show a finger with sweat coming down it, you know, like MailChimp does. Being human does not mean you add a body. I want you to use tech to digitize your experience of your customer and uh, increase your profitability. Like I want you to do that, yeah. but do not lose sight that every digital experience is still a human experience. Yeah. And so how can leaders, uh, so if someone listening to the podcast, you know, leader in a service business here, what are some things they can do to kind of get started or to start mm-hmm. to think about this approach or, or kind of think about their business in this way? So the easiest thing you can do is ask your people, where are we being dehumanizing in our customer experience? 
Where is our tech actually hurting us or hindering us rather than helping us? I guarantee you that will open the floodgates. That's just a question you can pose, yeah. whether in a huddle or in all hands or in your quarterlies. But technically, when you actually go to design your processes, so when you're implementing systems is one thing, but I believe that whether you're implementing tech or designing experiences, they're one in the same. Every company uses tech right now. So when you yeah. look at your operation, it's not how do we humanize our tech, it's how do we humanize our operation and make sure the tech matches it. Yeah. So some tactics to do this is don't be afraid to tell the truth, like what, Scribe did so successfully is they called it out. They're like, don't you hate when you receive a boilerplate email after, you know, paying a huge invoice? So encourage your team members when they're designing new processes, whether it's drip campaigns for your sales teams or whether it's onboarding emails for your new clients, whether it's installs uh, and the install process, if you're like a tech company, use the truth to your advantage because we live in a world where people don't know what the fuck to believe. Yeah. So being truthful makes you believable. Uh, use anecdotes, use humor. It's not about being informal. I wanna be really clear because people think that there's a myth like being human centric is being just casual. It's not, there's the scribe media example is not casual, I wouldn't say, it's not informal, it's just human. We don't need to talk like robots. So use humor, use original language. All those custom templates, like I believe Salesforce, when that book Predictable Revenue came out, all you saw left and right was, I'm sure you got the emails as well, Bruce, is like <laughs> the subject line, can you point me in the right direction? That literally came from Predictable Revenue. Uh -huh. And this is the problem with standardizing operations. Like it's not the tool that's the problem, it's how you use the tool. Mm -hmm. If you don't tweak these templates, to be in line with your customer perception of the brand and with your brand voice, the templates will not work in your favor. Yeah. So tell the truth, use humor, use original language, be less serious. People are really tired of the corporate jargon. They want to be have more levity in their life and just purposely be unprofessional, like where yeah. you can be unprofessional, where it makes sense in your process and when you're designing process, like play with that. And yeah. At Toyota, we had a general rule of thumb when we were sitting in a room, like a fancy conference room, and we were trying to solve a big problem. We didn't know the answer. Um, there's a Japanese word called Gemba. And we would say, okay, we need to go to Gemba. And Gemba means the front line. Mm -hmm. Because what we would recognize is like, we sit in these headquarters. We don't deal with the customer every day. The people that knows the customer best is usually that entry level position. And so we would literally go down to the dealerships, down to the front line and observe the customer. And so when in doubt, and I use this with all my clients, um, they're like, what do you think of this idea? I'm like, ask your customer yeah, or exactly. ask your employee that talks to the customer. This is more powerful than you will ever believe. It will give you the answer faster and more effectively than you sitting in a room and figuring it out. Yeah. Hillary, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the books, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Well, so I would love to know from you that are still around, what out of today was the most impactful thing? If you find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Hillary Corner, there's only one of me in the world. 
let me know and I'll have a little surprise for you. Other than that, you can find me on my website, hillarycorner.com and engage with the community there of human-centric leaders. Also, there is a quiz that you can take and send to your team to take to actually find gaps in your processes of where you're being dehumanizing. So if you go to the website, you'll see the quiz there under organization page and let me know how I can help. As a gift to all of you that have still hung around, I'm offering up to 30 minutes of my time for free, which I don't do for everyone, but I'm doing yeah. for Bruce because Bruce is a fucking badass and y'all know that. <laughs> I appreciate um, that. So take me up on the offer and email me straight up. I'm a real human. Hillary at HillaryCorner.com will get you on the books and I'll help you solve some of your process problems. Awesome. I'll make sure all the links and the handles and everything are in the show notes here. Hillary, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Heck yeah. Keep fighting the good fight, Bruce. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.